Hey, everybody, it's Ryan Ripley. Wanted to get a new offering in front of you as soon as possible, evidence-based leadership. And so, as you all know, Todd Miller, myself, and Will Seeley, we're big on evidence-based management. We want to apply it to the leadership space. We all know that modern managers face complex challenges every day. You're juggling a lot of needs, your direct reports, your stakeholders, your customers, they all need constant attention. What we want to do is help you manage that. We want you to use information and data to make good decisions around all of these areas so that we're delivering the right thing at the right time for the right customer. And we know that we're doing that because we're using data and evidence to validate all the things that we're doing. And not only that, we're not just looking at value, but we're looking at our capabilities as an organization. Can we deliver on time? Can we innovate effectively? Do we have too much tech debt? Do we have too many things in process? Are we unable to deliver when the market demands that we do? We look at all of these things with evidence-based management. We merge that into a leadership uh, mindset and lens, and we enable you to make new and better decisions repeatedly based off of the data that you're collecting within your organization. It's exciting stuff. We hope you can join us. Visit agileforhumans.com forward slash EBL course. Join us in one of these offerings. We think you're going to love it. Hope you can join us. Use Agile for Humans, the number four to take another 15% off of this course. And uh, we can't wait to see you there. This episode of Agile for Humans is brought to you by Agile plus DevOps East 2018. They bring together practitioners seeking to accelerate the delivery of reliable, secure software applications. Learn from industry experts how your organization can leverage Agile and DevOps concepts to improve deployment frequency and time to market, reduce lead time, and more successful, deliverable, stable features. Choose from over 100 learning and networking opportunities this November 4th through the 9th in Orlando, Florida to improve your Agile skills in hot areas such as Agile and Lean Development, Scaled Agile Development, Leadership, Digital Transformation, and more. Agile for Humans listeners, use the code AgileDev to receive 400 off your conference registration. Visit well.tc forward slash Agile for more information. Welcome to Agile for Humans, episode number 101, recorded on September 18th, 2018. Joining me tonight, David Furio and Ben Kopel. David and Ben are both talented Agile coaches in the Chicagoland area. And tonight's topic, it's all about retrospective. So for those of you who are into the retrospective, for me, it's my favorite event. Uh, but if it is for you as well, this is going to be a fun one. Both David and Ben are pioneers in this area, coming up with many fascinating experiments on how to get continuous improvement into the DNA of a team. So stay with us. Stick around. This is going to be a great episode. Welcome to Agile for Humans. Our goal is to bring humanity back into the world of software delivery with agile values, principles, and practices. We gather top agilists from around the globe to share insights and help you grow as servant leaders in your organizations. We seek to open minds, change hearts, and deliver value into the world. Now here is our host, professional scrum trainer and agile practitioner, Ryan Ripley. David and Ben... Welcome to the show. Hi, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing well. Ben, how are you? I'm great, Ryan. Thanks for having me on. No, you guys are always welcome. This has been way overdue. Ben and uh, David and I used to work together up in Chicago. We've spent uh, a lot of time talking about retrospectives and trying new ideas. And so I've been excited to get uh, these two guys on the show to really dig into some of the experiments that they've been up to. Um, I know that uh, David loves to, to mess around with micro formats and combining formats, and Ben's been doing some some things with uh, daily retros and some other experiments. I'm going to let them really dig into that, but 
But guys, what is the latest experiment? What have you been trying? So just to give a little context uh, on um, my perspective on retros, I think retros evolve with the maturity of a team. So you might want to start very simple with the format that everybody knows, what goes well, what can be improved, but then to break the monotony and, and keep the motivation uh, around this uh, great uh, ceremony, um, you might want to experiment. And that's what I, I really enjoy doing. So I try to throw kids games. Uh, you said uh, I mix formats just to make sure that you create more uh, opportunity to be creative and it's uh, it's really a, a facilitation laboratory i would say how about you ben what have you been up to with retros and and actually you know what i like what david did there he kind of gave his philosophy and the way he approaches it what's your approach ben and then we'll get into some of the practical tips sure um so my approach is really just making sure that first off that everyone kind of understands the the point of a retro and what they're what what we're there to do um so just making sure everyone has that context um and another important thing to me is just like getting really getting everyone really engaged in the conversation so making sure that those quiet people are you know engaged in the maybe the people that tend to share their opinion a little bit more um that's a facilitator can help make space for the rest of the group with them involved um and then also i think another really important thing is just making sure that you're there to come away with some improvements so it's always really fun and cathartic to you know kind of complain about how things are going but if you're not focusing on what we're going to do next to try to make it better then um, I, I don't think you're getting as much out of the retrospective as you could um, so that's kind of my philosophy is just getting everyone involved and, and making sure that you're having some kind of improvement. Um, lately, what I've been doing is I haven't been working with development teams in a while. I've been working with non-dev teams. So kind of taking a step back and doing the basics, kind of what David mentioned. Um, some things like what went well, what can be improved, or, you know, like the basic starfish, um, the, the perfection game, things like that. Um, so really taking a step back and just kind of helping teams ease into retrospectives and understand it's a it's a place to have safe conversations, um, you know, building momentum on having one improvement item, making that improvement, and then coming into the next retrospective. So just building up that momentum um, that comes from starting slowly. And so once you have that, that maturity and that cadence and those ideas flowing, Ben, what's that next step? I mean, what are the things that you're looking for that would tell you, yeah, it's time to really step this up? Um, yeah, I, I think, well, for me, moving to the next step is um, always mixing up retros. I never like to do the same one in a row, uh, one after another. So trying new things, you know, asking the team if it's okay if we experiment and maybe try something outside the box. Um, so things like that, uh, maybe even asking someone on the team if they're, they're interested in facilitating retrospective. Um, so trying to, to help people on the team, you know, become more T-shaped uh, so they can, they can kind of step in there and, and help um, and build their skills. So as far as teams taking it to the next level, I think they, they will usually um, give you an indication that they're ready to try something new or, you know, maybe they're, they're coming up with ideas uh, 
uh, like you had mentioned the daily retro. So I was on a team where, you know, they, they wanted to try something new. So instead of waiting till the end of each sprint, it was a one week sprint. Um, they wanted to start having retros every day. So I think just when they're, they're starting to feel comfortable with the, how a retro goes and, you know, the improvements that come from it, then they want to take it to the next level and, and try something new outside the box. Yeah, it's uh, it's really fascinating to see a team grow and uh, when, as a, an agile coach, when you feel that the team is at ease with the agile framework, so they master their stand-ups, they know how to plan, they master their velocity, they are very predictable, you can start working on, you know, the things outside of the agile framework. And I usually look at, you know, the psychology of the group, the group dynamics. And for example, I would split my uh, retro in uh, two sessions. The first session is really to assess Uh, the mindset of everybody. And I would use, for example, a, a, a deck of cards I really enjoy. It's a kid's game for storytelling. It's called Dixit Card. And I would put the, ta the cards on the table and ask everybody, well, pick a card and tell the group how you feel. And that enables everyone to really ease into the retrospective, open up, create that safe space that we all need to, uh, to dig in and, and see what we could improve. And once this first part of the retro is done, then we can enter into a regular uh, format that just like Ben, I would uh, grab from you know, a website, from previous formats that I used and, and really open up uh, to be creative around the ideas we would like to uh, evaluate for improvement, organize uh, those ideas, and then close towards action. It's really, uh, Ben, you made a, a very important point. The, the objective of a retro is really to find actions for continuous improvement. So if you don't keep this in mind, you're losing a little bit of the, I mean, the, you, you're losing the main goal of the exercise. So you close, and then also I like to keep the team accountable Accountable. So uh, put this on uh, the, the actions back into the backlog of the team or create a separate board with the action items where the team can see them. And so the accountability is, is really maintained on, on this level. Yeah, the, the Dixit card idea is one that um, you were experimenting with when we were working together. It's something that I've used both um, in the workplace and workshops and even some training classes trying to get people to get comfortable sharing, right? There's this idea of psychological safety that is essential in a, in a, in a scrum retrospective or in a sprint retrospective, right? It is definitely, if people are not safe, if they're not safe to say something, if not safe to dissent, if they're not safe to ask for help, if they're, if it's just, if there's this environment of, um, you know, the CYA or the highly politicized, whatever it is, um, it doesn't work. And I have found that those cards are brilliant at just giving the people, they hold it in front of them. And it's almost like it's a, it's a shield that they're talking about the card. They're not talking about the workplace or the person. And it just, and these cards are really cool. I'll, I'll put a link to the, the cards in the show notes and I'll, maybe I'll put a picture of one in the show notes. They're really bizarre drawings. Like it's, some of them are kind of morbid, but, um, you know, some, someone will pick up a card and say, yeah, this picture of a girl crying with a baby doll is how I felt with during this sprint or and there's some that are really bright like this really great sunrise is how this sprint went it was enlightening it was 
It was wonderful. And, the, and they'll tell a story about the sprint through the card. And it creates that, that barrier or that, that abstraction that gets them talking just enough to start having a conversation. And then people add into the stories. And, you know, and David used to facilitate this so well. He would just... He, he is the master of facilita- facilitation in my mind. Like when I think of... You know, for me, I'm always... I have to hold myself back from inserting a, my own ideas and thoughts into uh, a scrum event. David, on the other hand, is just he's able to facilitate in a way that he's capturing insights. He's asking questions, but he's not asking the, the leading questions or guiding the, the agenda. And it's really awesome to watch. He actually used this technique on our Agile Practices group, and we were able to get some really cool uh, insights and outcomes from a group that, you know, it's traditionally hard to get agile coaches to actually follow or eat our own dog food, right? To get us to sit down in a retro and actually participate is tricky. And, and uh, this, the Dixit cards and uh, David's fa- uh, facilitation really got us to a good place a, a number of times. Yeah, that's a good point, Ryan. And I think one thing I'd like to add on to that, um, as far as something I've noticed in David is and his success in retrospectives is that he's got a very emergent philosophy. And I think I'm kind of similar to you where I, I kind of want to chime in and give my opinion and, you know, share an idea where David does a really good job of um, kind of letting the team come up with the ideas and, you know, letting things emerge. So it's, I think it comes from his patience and that's something that I think is also really important in a retrospective, especially from a scrum master's point of view is making sure that you're letting the team come up with ideas and they're emerging from the team. Um, Cause then the team is going to, you know, be, have stronger buy-in to those ideas and they're going to want to follow through on them more and it'll mean more to them. So I think that emergent part of it is, uh, to me, stands out as something that David does a really good job at. Thank you. And you, you're making a, a, a very interesting point because I, I learned that with practice and it's it's true that when you work with teams, you're very tempted to jump into the conversation, share your ideas and and it actually does more harm than it helps the team. And so with with practice, you you realize that, that stepping back and really sticking to your role of facilitator is, is uh, helping the team achieve what they need to achieve, which is the retrospective itself, Creati- being creative around the ideas they need to, to imagine, making sense of those ideas, so grouping the ideas, and then focusing and closing the meeting with a, an action item that they can realize. You remember maybe seeing this uh, diagram, which is a, I call it the kite, where you open with a triangle, you have a rectangle in the middle where you make sense of ideas and then you close with another triangle. This is what you need to achieve in a retrospective. Yeah, I really like that. And, uh, and even carrying the ideas forward, you talked about you know, the accountability, making these continuous improvement items visible. Um, the latest edition of the Scrum Guide made an update to where the continuous improvement items, they go straight into the sprint backlog. So they go straight into the next sprint. We ha- we're, we're going to work on them. That's the commitment. Um, and I think that's essential because I think we've all seen in many different uh, companies and situations where uh, not following up on those items uh, just leads to just disastrous results. 
Yeah, and I, I think that's great, um, putting him in the backlog or with teams I've coached in the past, you always have, you know, it's either in the backlog or you have a separate retro improvement task board or something like that. Um, and I actually sat in on a retro or facilitated retro for an Agile coach the other day and the team, you know, I asked the team how they follow up on improvement items and, you know, how do they make sure that they're they're working through them um, so it's not, you know, just a complaining session. And they said, you know, we don't have anywhere to view that. So, and you know, I asked, would it be helpful if you put it up in the team pod? And they like, yeah, it would be. We should we should try that. So uh, it's such a simple thing, you know, just making it visible each day. But a lot of teams don't do that. And sometimes that can be the difference in having successful retrospectives and unsuccessful retrospectives is not just in the retrospective, but after the retrospective and what you do with those improvements and making them visible, um, not letting them fall through the cracks. Well, and something else I learned from, you know, Ben and David is that not only do you have to, you know, first of all, get a team to to discover their own continuous improvement items, which is essential, but then you make them visible like Ben just outlined. But then even to take it a step further, we have to make them measurable. How do we know we actually won? How do we know we actually improved? Mm -hmm. I think that was really a a light bulb moment for me in that, yeah, it's one thing to say, hey, as a team, we're going to work together a little bit better the next sprint a very good goal except for the fact that how would you measure it and mm-hmm. so then you start talking about the the micro adjustments you're going to make where hey this next sprint we're going to commit to 20 percent mob programming to see if that improves our collaborative nature now you can measure that did we spend 20 percent of our time working in this way and then was there some kind of quality increase through fewer escape defects through Um, a happier product owner through some net promoter score, you can start actually uh, measuring improvements and and seeing trends, you know, as opposed to these nebulous improvement items that are just really, really hard to ever quantify. And then in turn, it's really hard to get teams excited about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a very good point. It reminds me that uh, I have tried something around metrics that was very interesting. Um, So it was with a high-performing team, and I realized that some of the activities that we were doing during retros were partly uh, uh, learning and teaching. And so I would bring the metrics that I uh, had printed to the dashboards and the different sources of, of metrics. Uh, I would put them on the board and we would spend maybe one third of the retrospective time into going through the metrics, understanding what they mean, uh, the trends. For example, if we had decided a couple of retros uh, before that to uh, approach um, uh, mob programming or, or, or things like this, we would look at the impact on uh, the health of the, te- the team or the health of the code. And then we would segue into a, uh, a classical format of a retro. So based on the learnings, based on the observations, we would educate ourselves, give some context based on, on, on data, on fact, and it would help us have a more focused retro. And it was very successful. I think that's an awesome point. I also like uh, your your inclusion of team health because I know some, another practice that, that Ben really led was um, taking the Spotify uh, team survey model and and action making that actionable into a into a Google uh, I think it was a Google poll and and we were able to get some team insights and able to get some learnings about 
where the teams felt they were at. And that really influenced a lot of the ways uh, that we were facilitating and running retros. I thought that was a really good addition because we could see some other, you know, the data in in and of itself may not be interesting, but the trends can help. And it gave us just another um, viewpoint, another uh, another look at you know the dynamics around us, and gave us another way to uh, to kind of see, or at least to gain some insights. And I thought that was a really cool uh, adaptation as well. Yeah, I, that was really interesting. So thanks Spotify for allowing us to steal that. Um, <laughs> But it also led to some some trends that we saw at the organizational level, too, which was pretty cool. Um, so identifying that, you know, developers thought that code health was really poor. Um, so, you know, facilitating a large meeting with anyone who was interested in talking about code health and why and, you know, why do we have all this technical debt? What does technical debt mean? How can we ha- write better code? Um, so just, you know, through retrospective input, um, finding out the organizational level that all these people, you know, felt a certain way about code health. And then we could start to discuss how can we make that better? Um, and you guys were there. So, you know, they started, there was a group called engineering education that started, that started up book clubs and um, tech talks and things like that. So um, a whole group started that was trying to improve the craft of, of coding all just from, you know, asking, asking people what they thought in retrospectives. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, that was a really neat outcome, too. It wasn't just a team uh, continuous improvement item. It was actually an organizational improvement, right? So at, at the org level, because um, I know leadership was involved uh, in some of those meetings as well. So there was, initially, that survey kind of revealed the disconnect as well, where leadership was kind of under the impression that things were perhaps better than what the development teams felt. And there really had to be this reconciliation of, of ideas and what you know technical debt really meant and so I thought it drove a really interesting conversation up and down the org chart. It led to, um, you know, quality really becoming a first-class citizen again uh, within that workspace. And it was a, a organizational improvement, not just a team. A really cool experiment uh, that I, you know, I hope other, I hope the listeners try out. You know, get out there, you know, get some of these surveys going and see where, you know, all the way from the CEO down to the janitor, what they think about the company and how things are going. You might see these disconnects. And that's an awesome opportunity for someone like you know, David or Ben to then come in and, and facilitate a retrospective around that uh, to really find where the, the gaps are in understanding and in thought and then really find those true continuous improvement items. Uh, because that's where I think those uncomfortable moments, because they are certainly uncomfortable, I think that's where all the growth comes from. Yeah, and you're making a great point, uh, Ryan, and I, I, I believe that's where um, the uh, the genius of, of Ben resides is taking the the power of retrospective that is centered to the on the team, and and pulling it all the way to leadership, and and consolidating this data, and making it a company tool to surface where the team are struggling, where the team are winning, what can we do on the company level, uh, leveraging the the leadership team to really pull this uh, continuous improvement effort all throughout the company. And and Ben, through different initiatives that uh, we've worked uh, on together, uh, has has really mastered this effort and it it was really comfortable to to work uh, along with Ben. Uh, well, thanks, David. And that, that what you just mentioned, what Ryan mentioned, made me think of something that's 
you know, an important topic in retros, which is uh, management involvement. So we talked about here about, you know, how if you have some outputs and you want to discuss them and raise them to leadership, that that's, that's great. And if leadership wants to buy in and help out, even better. Um, but recently I was talking to some coaches at work who, you know, they have managers that don't want to leave the retrospective. They want to get into the retrospective if they're asked, you know, can you step out of this one? Um, no, I, you know, I need to be there. I have things that I want to say. I want to hear what the team has to say. So it's a, it's a fine line between including management and or not including them, you know, and like when to get them involved. Um, so curious if you guys have any thoughts about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So interesting point. Uh, I tend to uh, defer to the team. And so that's David's influence on me, I think. Um, I will, I'll check with the team and just check in and say, Hey, look, you know, we have a a VP or a director or a manager who wants to participate. Um, are you comfortable with that? Do you think that, so that's valuable? Um, can we do that without losing the, uh, the value of the retrospective? And if the team is clearly uncomfortable with it, well, then that becomes an impediment to the, the scrum event. And then it's my job to, to, to remove that impediment, Right. Mm-hmm. So then it's a discussion with the management about how this is about continuous improvement. If they really want to say something, and, and actually I would kind of push back a little bit on the idea of a manager needing to have some kind of agenda item in a retrospective. I would actually argue that that is more appropriate in a sprint review, right? So that's an opportunity for leadership, for management, for stakeholders. That's for everyone to get together and not just do a demo, right? It's not just a demo. It's an opportunity to talk about the product backlog. It's an opportunity to talk about progress, budgets, how the product's doing in the marketplace, feedback from customers so that we can make those adaptations to the product backlog so we can get ready for the next sprint. I think that's a great time for management to be present, to see what the team's doing, to hear about the concerns, uh, and then to give their feedback along with the other stakeholders. And that way, the development team and the scrum team at you know, holistically, they can keep that sprint review or that sprint retrospective to themselves. They can, you know, really talk about the, the, the relationships, the issues within the team and come to some consensus in a safe, uh, more controlled way. And then both sides still get what they want. Right. And so I'm wondering if perhaps a better understanding and facilitation of the sprint review could alleviate a lot of this pressure um, that management's feeling to uh, to participate in the sprint retrospective. Uh, I, I think you're right. I think it could because it yeah, seems like a much so, more. All of a sudden, you got my mind going very fast because when I have this type of situation, it's it's always an opportunity for so many act, so many uh, action with the team. Uh, first of all, it's the opportunity to you, you were right to ask the team what do you think. Should we have the manager in our ceremony? Because this ceremony is supposed to serve the team. So wh- what do you think? But also it's an opportunity for coaching the manager, the dev manager, on maybe uh, let go if he needs to really, you know, trust the team more or uh, look at, you know, the, you're making a great point. Uh, the sprint review is the format, you know, uh, what we're looking for. Do we have the, the right level of information? Or So uh, any time you have a tricky question like this, I, I take it as an opportunity for great coaching. Well, I see it also as an opportunity to, to fall back on the scrum values. 
right? So if we have these sticky situations, you know, the questions that come up that's not covered by Scrum, right? So can a manager attend a sprint retrospective? Well, Scrum's silent on that, right? There, it doesn't say yes or no. The Scrum Guide isn't clear. Now it does talk about the purpose, and then you can make inferences. It's the same question, like, uh, how many Scrum teams should a Scrum Master serve? Well, there's no guidance on that, right? And so now we have these, these really sticky situations where the values come into play, where we talk about, you know, what is the focus of the, in the case of the retrospective, what's the focus of the Scrum event? Well, the focus is on continuous improvement. Now, does a manager showing up with an agenda disrupt that focus? Potentially, perhaps. Um, how about openness? Can the team act in an open way in a sprint retrospective with that manager there? Maybe, you know, maybe not. Um, the commitment and courage, right? Are we going to have to pull too much on courage to be open? And then is the commitment going to be to pleasing the manager instead of uh, finding true improvement, right? And finally, respect. You know, are both sides going to be respectful enough um, and maintain that decorum in order to have a positive conversation? I think when you start pulling those values in, uh, the scrum values, I think you can get a rich conversation around whether or not something should happen as well. And when you combine some of these tips, I think it's much simpler to get to clarity on a lot of these sticky questions, right? I would say yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's, it's yeah. definitely a, a, a complex topic, right? Because it's sometimes also very yeah. difficult to tell the, the boss no. Uh, but uh, sometimes we got to think about, uh, you know, sometimes when you say yes, you're saying no to a lot of things that you're not intentionally saying no to. And so it's an important convo. Something I want to get back to. So, David, something that uh, another one of your ideas that I really liked, um, you're combining formats. And I've been really just taking this to the next level. Um, I've been playing with these ideas, getting two or three formats in under an hour. You know, trying to go wide with ideas and then filter down. One of my favorites is uh, a retro that you and I ran many times, the pirate ship to starfish. And it, um, right. I, I love this retrospective. I actually I visited a team out in uh, Pennsylvania and uh, they asked if I would uh, run a retro. <coughs> but they were almost apologetic. They had this, uh, this, this whiteboard in the corner of the room and it had 10 sticky notes that looked kind of crusty and I asked what was going on over there and they said, oh yeah, that's our retro board. You know, we get the same results, we get the same 10 post-its every time we run it. So we just, we stopped collecting data and now we just work on those post-its. <laughs> and I was like, well, those post-its look kind of old. They're like, yeah, we haven't really gotten much progress in six months. And so I asked, do you mind if I do uh, a pirate ship with a starfish retro just to see what's going on? And they're like, sure, but you're not going to get anything different. Well, over 100 post-it notes on the wall later, um, and actually an hour and a half later of trying to distill over 100 ideas through Starfish, um, room the, the whole room jaws were just dropping. Management couldn't believe it. The developers couldn't believe it. There were these deeper issues going. A lot of it positive, right? Stuff that was bubbling up that um, no one knew what people were actually happy with. And, and, you know, by the end of it, just a huge lesson learned there, that just the, the fit for purpose. Right, you know the plus minus yeah. delta, or better known as what went well, what didn't, what do we need to change? It's a fine format, but if you use it all the time, you're going to get the same old results. And uh, you know, David, your combination of, of of formats like these micro formats, and then using one format to filter results from another, you know, I, I just really thought this is really powerful. Can you talk about how you came up with that, um, and if you've done anything with that uh, going forward? 
Yeah, so it, it's really interesting to um, to play with those formats because at the end of the day, you're trying to find the the most effective facilitation technique to help the team achieve what they need to do, which is continuous improvement. And so Ben mentioned it earlier, you have to break the monotony of doing the same format, uh, you know, over and over again. You have to also, as either the scrum master, if you're if you're the scrum master facilitates or the agile coach, you have to really understand where the team is and where you want to help them go. So um, I I would definitely suggest to your listeners, to our listeners today, to really think about the retro they are going to facilitate. So do a little preparation ahead of time. Uh, try to, to to understand the context in which you operate and, and then try to set up a few formats for your retro and, and maybe ask the team what they think. I like to come in and, you know, uh, empower the team team in telling them, well, this is what I thought. We could do this or we could do that. What do you think? And then you get more buy-in and and by by doing basically two facilitation exercise within one, you have a first uh, a round of creativity around assessing the problem and then a second round of creativity assessing the solutions. And you're really powerful because your brainstorms are very deep. They are highly participated and and also you you time box everything so you are very efficient yeah I, th I think david makes a really good point there about spending time to plan for the retro um i know you know when i was earlier on in my my scrum master career i didn't really spend a lot of time planning for it i would just go to the retro and we'd talk about what went well and what could be improved but as i matured as a scrum master and um you know i see a lot of people doing this now also is I think scrum masters should be spending a, you know a couple hours maybe at times preparing for a retro like david mentioned maybe it's looking at data or metrics that could be interesting or you know inspecting the uh, the improvement items from last sprint or just thinking about um retro formats you've done in the past and how they worked but just really thinking through how can how can you make this a, a an effective meeting for the team um because for the scrum master the retrospective is really the the time when the scrum master gets to shine um and gets to show their stuff so for me when i'm facilitating retro i'm spending an hour or two at least kind of planning for that retro getting prepared and and really thinking through it to make sure that it's effective and a good use of everyone's time I think that's really important, and I think it gets overlooked a lot. Well, yeah. it comes back to, you know, I, newer scrum masters especially. I know all three of us have mentored um, newer scrum masters, and I think we all still do that today. And one of the questions that they inevit inevitably will ask is, well, what do you do all day? <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, it's a weird question, but a very reasonable one at the same time. And, and one of my answers is, well, I'm, I'm preparing for the scrum event. You know, and I'm watching team dynamics and I'm trying it. A lot of it is uh, prep work so that you can actually, you know, like David was saying, facilitation took practice. Right. And so th all of these things take time and effort and consciousness and intention. And if we're not planning, preparing and, and researching formats, we're missing great opportunities. So, Ryan, one one format I'd like to share and. Uh, this format, I remember discussing it with Ben and I threw myself in the arena uh, with that format was the hot seat. 
And uh, at the time, I thought it was interesting to not uh, retro on the team, but retro on the on the agile coach. And so uh, what I did with this uh, this format, I, I tweaked it a little bit and I, I divided the, the retro time in, in, in three phases. The first phase, I went back over the definition of the role of an agile coach for that team. So on the board, I listed all the tasks that from my perspective, I was supposed to do for the team. Then I told the team, well, I'm going, we are going to re uh, retrospective on this format. Uh, but I'm going to leave the room and I'm going to let you reflect on what goes well, what can be improved around this role and that those definitions. And then you can call me back into the room and we can debrief together. And I, you, you know, when you, you facilitate a group and the group really dives into your offer and, and makes the most of it, uh, I was really impressed by what they came up with. Um, they came up with ideas that I couldn't have found myself. And that's where I, I love, you know, the power of 10 brains instead of just uh, using yours. And, uh, and at the end, I asked the question, well, uh, should I stay or should I go? Like, do you want me to keep working with you or, or not? And, and collectively, we redefined the role. We came up with a, a few leads for improvement. And it was not just me doing my job, but I was part of the team more than I've ever been. It was an amazing experience. So do you happen to recall, I, if it's company proprietary, you know, feel free to tell me no, but was there something that really came out of it that stuck with you that led to some introspection, some improvement, something that you really um, were surprised by that you had to really sit down and think about and ultimately work on? I, I forgot the details. I'm sorry. It was a while back, but I... The level of collaboration that was created uh, from this uh, exercise was outstanding. It tied the bonds of the team around the, 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 the role of, uh, of the coach. It, it was a, an amazing uh, experience. It took a little courage because, you know, put yourself on the hot seat. Uh, you, you don't really know what's going to come out. And, uh, and, and I don't regret it. No, that, that sounds great. I mean, it's the ultimate act of servant leadership, in my opinion. You know, you're putting the needs of everyone above your own, and you're making sure that you're meeting them, and you're giving people opportunity to, uh, to do that. So you're, you're living the five scrum values. You know, you're committed to improvement and to your service levels. You're focused on what the team needs. Um, you're open to feedback. Um, you're, you're respecting the viewpoints of the, of the scrum team. I mean, it, it's an awesome practice, David. I love it. Yeah, and and I remember David talking to me before he did this, and he like he mentioned he was a little bit nervous, you know, but he wanted to do it, and we had talked about it a bit, and then he came out afterwards, and like he said that he had offered this thing to the team, and the team were really excited about it, and they they went all in on it, and it was a great retro, and I just remember David and I afterwards talking about it and just being really excited, kind of like these agile nerds, like just as, <laughs> as most agile coaches know this feeling, you know, because sometimes you put yourself out there and with the team, and you're not sure what's going to happen, and when they're really engaged and, and they get really involved in that and get excited too, it's it's a lot of fun and brings a lot of energy, so I remember that. It was really cool, and, and a lot of the other agile coaches and scrum masters at, at the office that David shared 
shared it with were really impressed by it. And I think some of them went and tried it too. And it just kind of, it gave us a new angle and kind of a, a new perspective on how to engage the team. It was, it was very cool. That's awesome. So guys, as we wrap up uh, this discussion, it flew by quickly. What are some sites or some resources that you both turn to uh, when you're thinking about the next retrospective format, when you're looking for inspiration, or when you just need some new ideas about how to get the teams to uh, to figure out what to improve on next? Uh, for me, the main one I go to is uh, it's Retromat. I don't remember the, the URL, but um, Retromat, and that's the one that it, it actually has. Um, it's like a... I'm trying to think of the, the machine in Vegas where you pull the slot and um, pull the handle and all the, the things spin around, but it gives you a different lineup for each of the five different steps. So for setting the stage, collecting data, gathering, generating insights, deciding what to do, closing, it gives you tons of different options. Um, so there are hundreds on that RetroMat site. That's kind of my go-to. And then there's also a Trello board out there that Phil Rogers has put together that's really helpful too. Nice. How about you, David? Yeah, I would say the same sites. And I also Google. Uh, I use Google a lot to just look for formats of for different formats of retros. And, and I also create my own now. Uh, I thankfully with experience feel comfortable enough. And for example, the other day, uh, it was the end of a project and the retro format that we did was, uh, I called it time capsule because we kind of assessed, you know, the situation of the of the uh, the project, but we didn't know if the code would be used by another team or not. So I suggested to the team, uh, how about we do a, a retro and we put all the results in a time capsule for a team to pick up. And so if in the in the future someone comes and would like to learn from your experience, they would have retro actions already uh, for for their board and and we did that and and it worked really well so don't be afraid of uh, coming up with your own format and in the same way you 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 learn and adapt uh, you 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 make the those formats evolve with the teams you try them with yeah i think that's a great point i know that um you know david you you certainly do that ben i think you actually did some kind of retro with oreo cookies which was very well received and I mean that it did also a, a format with uh, broccoli and heroin oh I do remember I think I saw yes. a picture of that um, I, if I can find the picture I'll post it um, <laughs> look the opportunities uh, for creativity and novelty are, are endless in the retrospective right I think we if, if we really have paid attention to our teams we understand the dynamics I think there's opportunity there to really customize and tailor a retro to exactly the insights that, or at least to create the space for the insights that the team may need uh, in that moment. And so it's really, uh, for me, it's an, it's an essential uh, area to practice and sharpen to get good at. I know Esther Derby just released a course on uh, Teachable where she really goes back to the basics and says, here's the foundational knowledge of a retrospective. Uh, and I've been really enjoying that. Uh, I'll get a link to the show notes in that as well, because I know that um, even though we've all been like we've all been doing this for 10, 15, 20 years, but even um, the basics, I think it's important, like with any skill or any sport or any anything that you're really trying to master, you know, getting back to the basics and really practicing those every once in a while is essential. So we'll link to the sites that David and Ben mentioned. We'll link to Esther's new course. 
Um, there's some great books out there as well that I've been reading. I've actually been experimenting with liberating structures in retrospectives. And so if you're not familiar with liberating structures, we'll put a link to that as well. Um, these are kind of micro formats that really create space for, for discovery. And uh, it's been really powerful. So it's been a really fun uh, journey experimenting with those. So I've been taking the lessons from David and Ben, mixing in some liberating structures and really trying to take some of those ideas uh, even further. And so that's been a real, real, uh, really enjoyable. And so that's the other part. You know, people ask, what do scrum masters do all day? Where do we get enjoyment from our work? Of course, we're servant leaders. Of course, we enjoy serving the teams. But I think as you can hear from the three of us, how excited we get talking about formats, you can really geek out on this stuff. And there's a lot, just a lot of fun uh, trying to figure out the next format and sharing it with your teams and, and seeing what outcomes you can get to. Yep, that's that's a good point. And, and one thing to mention, too, because you talked about kind of expanding uh, the retrospective. So um, I've done retrospectives with my family a couple of times. Um, so after family weekends with my wife, you know, just sitting around just saying, how did you think that went the weekend? And we talked about, you know, like it would have been better if, if I helped do some more dishes for my wife, things like that. And then I facilitated a retro with family after New Year's um, holiday. Um, I facilitated with, you know, with people range age ranges from like seven to 65 people who'd never done this before and came up with improvement ideas and improvement ideas that have actually been acted on, um, to try to make a family gathering better. So it's, it's not just for teams, uh, software development. It can be, you know, the marketing group or with your family or anything. So it's just, it's really fun to, for me at least to think about continuous improvement a lot, um, and kind of expand it even outside the workplace. Yeah, I've even incorporated them into my, uh, my, my scrum.org courses. So at the end of a class, I will run. So what I, what I find interesting about, especially the professional Scrum Master course, is that we do have content about the retrospective, um, but we don't go very deep. And so what I've tried to do is incorporate a retrospective at the end as the way for students to give me feedback, almost like David's hot seat uh, mm-hmm. format. But it also shows them, I usually do some combination of um, Pirate Ship, Starfish. Um, there's a few others that I'll pull from. Um, sometimes I bring the Dixit cards and we'll even do that. But I want them to see a few different formats and then I'll do micro formats. There's um, the four L's. What did you, what did you like? Um, what did you learn? What did you long for? Um, you know, and what did you, what did you love? I think, I think is the fourth one. And so I'll put those up on the wall. So during breaks, I'll ask him to put a post-it up for those. So I'm trying to show as many different micro formats, but also some of the larger formats as possible so that people are going back into the world and, and starting their, their careers as scrum masters, at least knowing that there's more than one format. And mm-hmm. I've gotten a lot of really good feedback about uh, from scrum masters saying, yeah, that was really helpful. And it got me investigating other formats. And I know that's been valuable to people as well. Definitely. Or even doing a quick retro after the meeting. You know, you just had a 60-minute meeting, save five minutes at the end for a quick retro. Yeah. How can we make this meeting better in the future? Well, and I even like your idea of the, the daily retro, right? And then at the end, of the, the end of the sprint, you can do a timeline retrospective with all of that feedback and input, and then you can feed that into some other format. And, you know, the, the, the opportunities for creativity, like I said, are boundless. And you two, uh, David and, and Ben, you're definitely... Uh, ahead of the curve and experimenting with this this Scrum event. So I really appreciate you guys coming on the show, sharing some of the insights and basically geeking out with me for about an hour about retrospectives. I hope we do this again soon because I have a feeling the, the three of us could talk about this stuff for hours on end. But this is the end of our time box. And so at this point, David and Ben, 
Um, you're more than welcome to uh, share anything that you have going on. Ben, I think you, uh, year two of the Agile Coaching Summit is coming up. I'm sure you want to share that. Um, to all the listeners out there, I know uh, David, I may or may not be correct on this, but I think you're currently available uh, for hire. And if that is still the case, uh, I would just recommend to all of my friends and, and listeners out there, get this guy off the market before someone else does. Um, he's really a pioneer in a lot of these areas. And uh, I wish like crazy I had an excuse to, to work with him again. And I think you'll be happy if you get the opportunity to work with him as well. So, but guys, I won't, I'll stop stealing, stealing your thunder. Uh, how about Ben? What do you have to promote? What do you have going on? And most importantly, how can listeners reach you if they want to continue the conversation? Um, sure. Uh, well, first off, Ryan, thanks for having me on. Um, I remember a long time ago, you know, maybe four or five years ago, um, talking about when you were creating this podcast and on an email thread where you were coming up with the name and it was really exciting. So it's an awesome podcast. Great job. Uh, it only took me a hundred episodes to get here. So thank you for having me. Um, and thank you for having this podcast for the community. It's awesome. Um, so what I've got going on is like you said, the agile coaching summit in Chicago. So it's the second year. Um, it's October 20th and 21st. Uh, it's a two-day open space event. It's sponsored by the Agile Alliance and the Agile Coach Camp Initiative. Um, so you can Google it, Agile Coaching Summit. Uh, you'll find the Eventbrite page. Um, sign up. It's going to be awesome. Um, so that's the main thing. People can find me on Twitter at BC Copel, so B-C-K-O-P-E-L, and on LinkedIn also. Yeah, and just a quick thing about the Agile Coaching Summit uh, this year, Ben and Emilio Perez, right? You two have put it together? Yep, yep. And uh, so it's going to, last year, Ben and I organized this year. It's Ben and Emilio. Um, it looks like it's shaping up into a really awesome event. I'm excited for what Ben and Emilio have put together. Um, I am participating, so I'll be flying in from a, I'm teaching a PSM uh, in Denver the night before. I'll be flying in that night. I'll be attending um, for the entire event. So I'm really looking forward to reconnecting with everybody. David, I think you're going to be there as well, correct? Yes, I'm going to be there. I wouldn't miss it. It was an amazing event last year. Uh, a great open space, uh, great participants. And uh, it's an opportunity to, to learn and share. It's, uh, uh, it's really, I'm looking forward to it. So Ben, did I see right? You got, uh, I think Faye Thompson's coming back. I think Bob Galen is coming out. Is that right? Uh, Bob was signed up, but he had to cancel. Uh, so he's yeah, he's not going to make it anymore. Okay. We do have a lot of great people coming out. Um, it's, a, it's a great opportunity to meet Ben, to talk to David. I'll be there if you're interested in that. Um, you know, all of the great coaches, I think, uh, at Uptake and a bunch of other uh, great companies in Chicago are going to show up. Uh, I think this is a really good opportunity. I think it's fairly inexpensive, Ben. Are the tickets, what, 90 99 $99. Yep. It's pretty cheap. You know, breakfast, lunch, two days of open space, some networking events, and just a lot of learning and sharing with, you know, a lot of people interested um, in talking about Agile. So not just Agile coaches, but Scrum Masters, product owners. Um, it'll be a, a good group. And it'll be a good time. Yeah, it's, uh, it's probably the best bang for the buck that you're going to get all year. So join us in Chicago. Uh, we'll make sure to link that in the show notes. Um, and uh, I hope everyone on the, the podcast can make it because it's, uh, you know, it's a huge, huge event. Um, and I, I don't know. I got a lot out of it last year. I really enjoyed it. So and I know everyone else did, too. David, how about you, my friend? Yeah. What do you have going on? Um, how can people reach out? And uh, have you been taken off the market yet or are you still up? up are you still for hire? 
No, I'm still for hire. Uh, so people can reach me on my email, uh, David, D-A-V-I-D, at Forio, F as a Frank, A-U-R-I-O dot com. Um, and yes, I'm looking at uh, relocating to San Francisco. Uh, I'm very excited about this move and uh, I'm looking at opportunities to help the team, organization and individual grow get better at what they do, build amazing products and do what I'm passionate about and what you've been hearing for the last hour, uh, doing agile, being agile and uh, experimenting new things to create uh, new opportunities and new level of performance. Um, I, I, I don't know if the passion is, uh, is, is in my voice, but it's definitely in everything I do. That's great to hear. And so, like I said, if, uh, if you're looking, especially if you're in the San Francisco area, uh, David is great. Snatch him up. Uh, he's not going to stay available for long. Well, all right, Thank guys. You, Ryan. This was a blast. Um, it's been way too long since we've, the three of us have actually talked. Um, I need to, to hop on the South Shore and come up for lunch sometime in Chicago. So we'll make that happen uh, in the very near future. But it's great to catch up with you. I've, I've missed this. And so I really appreciate you hopping on the podcast and spending an hour. This was, uh, this was a lot of fun, and I hope we do it again soon. Thank you, Ryan. Agreed. Right. It was awesome. For the listeners out there, um, yeah, we're over 100 episodes. We're back to a consistent delivery. Um, we're going strong. We've got the new intro stuff going on. I hope you like it. If uh, I'd love to hear the feedback on that. Uh, there's some more improvements along the way. Um, these next few weeks, I'm going to be busy teaching a lot of the scrum.org courses. If you're interested in that, check out ryanripley.com. A lot of classes coming up. The advanced scrum master course is really exciting. The first one's Indianapolis, October 3rd and 4th. Um, it's guaranteed to run. It's almost filled up. Um, if you'd like to get in, in on it, uh, hit me up on email or Twitter. We might be able to do a Agile for Humans discount code. Let me know you're interested and we'll see what we can do. But uh, yeah, that one's almost full. And then it's on to Denver and Tampa and Washington, D.C., and those classes are filling up fast. So check it out at the Advanced Scrum Master course. It's a, all it, it's a really great deep dive into servant leadership. Um, it blew my mind when I took it, and I think you're going to like it too. So that's enough selling for one podcast episode. Um, <laughs> appreciate everyone being here, the, the sharing, the numbers, the downloads that continue to go up even when I haven't been consistent, which means we have one of the best communities out there uh, on the Internet and just really appreciate it. Thanks to all of you, Agile for Humans actually has hit the top 100 in technology on iTunes, uh, which is a huge moment. Like, that's a, a monumental uh, thing to hit. It puts us in the top 5% of all podcasts on iTunes, and that's just... Um, when I saw that last week, I was just stunned. And so thank you so much to the listeners. Your support on Patreon, on iTunes, on giving reviews to the show, on your feedback. It's just phenomenal, and I just really cannot thank you enough. And so I'm going to leave it at that. I just really appreciate the support. I love people like Ben and David who are pioneers in their space and they share their insights. And this is why we do the show, right? This is just uh, get the information out into the world and hope that people do great things with it. And so with that, um, I'm going to wish everyone a good evening. You're listening to Agile for Humans with Ryan Ripley. Learn more at ryanripley.com.
Hey, it's Ryan. If you're enjoying this show and want to take a deeper dive into Scrum with me and Todd, check out agileforhumans.com forward slash training. Be sure to also look at the show notes to subscribe to our newsletter, get a copy of our book, Fixing Your Scrum, and learn more about working with us at Agile for Humans. Thanks for listening and Scrum on.